Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, tonight we're going to be talking about giving glory to God. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 4, as well as the book, the Gospel of John chapter 9. We're going to kind of launch out of Romans chapter 4, then go into uh, John chapter 9. But also want to let you know, as I'm kind of over the outreach that goes around the world, we have some mission trips that are going to be coming up soon. Listen, um, back in 1985, I went on a, my first short-term mission trip. We smuggled Bibles into China. That trip radically, radically changed my life. And so I love to encourage people to go on a short-term mission trip. Let the Lord um, speak and minister to your heart. This year, we got some different places that we as a church, at least, we've not been before. We're going to be actually going to Cuba and doing some work there in Cuba. We're actually going to, uh, Pastor Chad has a friend who's a pastor over in Salzburg, uh, Austria. Uh, you know, the hills are live with the sound of music. That's where that was filmed. But he's, he's going to be doing, the guy, the pastor there, he does an English soccer camp for a ton of kids. So if you're a soccer enthusiast or a coach or something, and you want to join us there, or you want to just go and teach kids how to speak English or just evangelize, that would be a phenomenal trip for you. We're also going down to Oaxaca, Mexico, um, and then we're going to the Philippines. And then we also have a trip that we can't really talk about, but if you're a, if you're a, a man and you love evangelism, and you want to be radically challenged, uh, come out to our missions meeting. Pastor Dennis will be doing that in a few weeks. And come out and hear about where we're going, what we're doing, and let the Lord speak and minister to your heart. So I encourage you guys to do that. But tonight we're going to be looking at giving glory to God, giving glory to God and what that looks like. Um, There in Romans chapter 4, again, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about contrast as he's going through the chapter. He talks about faith and works. He talks about law and grace. And then he talks about life and death. And we're going to kind of pick it up in Paul talking about Abraham, this man of faith, and in a sense how he gave glory to to God. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, speaking again of Abraham. And as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed uh, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So that he, Abraham, became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, 
He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God, what he had promised, he, God, was able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness' sake. Here we have the apostle talking about Abraham, and Abraham in his life, again, he was given this promise. Hey, you're going to be the father of many, many nations. And so Abraham, in a sense, kind of believed God that he was going to be a father of many nations, but he didn't have any kids. And so he's getting together with Sarah, and they weren't able to have kids. Sarah was barren. And so, you know, they're kind of doing oftentimes what we oftentimes do, Instead of waiting on God and and being in the spirit, we're going to try to help God out and they get in the flesh. And so what they do is they grab Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. They bring her into Abraham and, and she conceives and has a son. And then Abraham thinks, okay, there's the heir. There's my son. But God comes to Abraham some 13 years later and, and says the same thing again. No, 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 Abraham, you're going to have a son. Now, Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100, and he says, but the son is going to be through Sarah. And Sarah stopped and kind of laughed. Abraham kind of laughed, and they're thinking, uh, how is this going to work? But they believed in God. And then what I love about that story is that at that time with Abraham, that's when God commanded him to be circumcised. And circumcision was a cutting away of the flesh. And when the flesh was cut away, then the promises of God came about. People, that is a truth for us today. Listen, we, the, I love talking about Galatians, Galatians 5, the, the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, and, and what they do within our lives. Again, whether it's your relationship with your God, I speak to spouses all the time, or your relationship with your spouse, uh, you can see the fruit of the flesh in action. And the fruit of the flesh, like our relationship with God, it goes like this. The fruit of the flesh in my relationship with my spouse, it goes like this. But listen, listen, the fruit of the spirit brings us closer together. The fruit of the spirit in marriage will bring you closer together. And yet as Abraham cut away those things of the flesh, just like us, when we cut away the things of the flesh, then the promises of God can be revealed in our hearts, in our lives. But when we look at Sarah, when we look at Abraham again, 90, she's 90, he's a hundred years old. Listen, my parents are 91 years old. They're still alive. If I actually had brought a picture in and put the picture of them up there and they showed you their picture and I said, hey, look it, they're going to have a baby. You guys would all be laughing just like I would be laughing as well. In fact, you ladies would be going, no, 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 Pat, time out, time out. It don't work that way. There's a time when it just stopped working and that's not possible. But in the same way for Abraham, for the same way for Sarah, these things are possible. In fact, when you look at Hebrews 11, 11, this is what it says about Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Listen, when that flesh was cut away, the work of the spirit could come into the promise. And and again, uh, Abraham believed God. And when he believed God, God brought about that 
blessing of the promise. And again, it's the same thing for us as well. The miracle of salvation. People, listen. As long as we are depending upon our flesh or in our strength, we can please God. We will never be justified. But when we come to the end of ourselves, we admit that we're dead. We cease to strive in our own efforts. Then God is able to raise us from the dead and give us that new life. Listen, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were telling me that when they finally, when they, when they finally died to all their wants and desires for recognition or trying to do things in their own strength, that's when God, they finally gave up, and that's when God moved, and that's when God brought about the promises. Simple faith with Abraham is simply to believe God. To believe God, to believe his word. And he was justified, just as if he hadn't sinned. And the same for you and for me, if we would but believe God. Accounted to him for righteousness. For Abraham, for Sarah. Man, how did they give glory to God? Simply by believing him. And then receiving those promises. That's how it was with Abraham, with Sarah. Now turn with me over to John chapter one, and we're going to read a story about a guy. And I just love this story. It kind of ties in of looking at him and how he gave glory to God, how he gave glory to God. In the gospel of John chapter nine, beginning in verse one, it says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? So, so here's the story of Jesus is just walking down a path. There was a guy who was born blind. He's sitting on the side of the road. And the disciples see the guy that's sitting there blind. And so they just kind of bring up the subject. Hey, Jesus, who sent this guy or his parents? And yet what I find amazing is that with Jesus or with the disciples, they make this comment in such a way that it was kind of like more of a matter of fact. Hey, the guy's blind. It must be sin. There must be a sin issue going on. Like if there was a problem or if there was a defect, obviously somebody is in sin. Was it this guy or was it his parents? Listen, because for the Jews, that is exactly how they thought. Do you you know if you were a Jew and you had any kind of a physical defect or something that was wrong with you, you you were not allowed to be a priest. You were not allowed to go into the inside of the temple there if you had anything going on. Uh, And that's just what they thought. In fact, they looked at anyone like that as, no, there's a sin, must be sin going on. They have sin issues. But for the disciples, again, this wasn't like something weird. Jesus, you know, didn't rebuke him or whatever per se. It was just, hey, who sinned? They, that's how they felt because that's how the Jews at that time felt about people that had that kind of thing going on within their lives. People, do you know that we can be just like the disciples? I've been guilty of that very, very same thing. Something going on in someone's life that's not good. It must be sin. Someone struggling with this or that. Oh, it just must be sin. Listen, we can fall into the same kind of thinking just like these guys. But listen, we actually can even go deeper in our own understanding for us personally. Listen, have you ever 
Have you ever had something go wrong within your life? And then you thought, hey, man, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God must be punishing me. Listen, I know there's people sitting here right now, and that is how you think. That whenever anything goes wrong, you think, oh, God must not love me. He must be punishing me. That, you know, he must not like me and stuff. That's where we oftentimes go with the Lord. But for the disciples, their thinking was not right. For you and for me, our thinking is not right when we are thinking there when we're thinking that God doesn't love us, that God doesn't care about us. I I would call that uh, in the uh, King James Version, stinketh thinking. And listen, listen, when we have what I would call stinky thinking, and I see it oftentimes with couples, they, they come to wrong conclusions, but because of the wrong conclusions, then there's wrong actions that follow those conclusions. When we think like that, or that is where we're at. But listen, listen. Listen to what Jesus says to the disciples. There in verse 3, and Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Listen again, this was not a sin issue like the disciples thought. This is a God issue. This is God wanting to reveal who he was and what he could do for mankind. God revealing his glory so that man might give glory to God. God is always revealing his glory. Listen, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you read through your Bible. We kind of do this thing on staff where a lot of the people kind of read through the Bible in a year. And if you're doing that, we happen to be kind of at the end of Exodus right now. But I remember last week when we were reading through Exodus 16. And the children of Israel were doing what the children of Israel did. I mean, they complained. They, thank you, God. They complained. They murmured, thank you, God. You know, they were kind of this up and down and where they, it's kind of like us. You know, we do the sign, kind of the same thing based on circumstances, the things that are going on. But the children of Israel, they started complaining. Man, you know what, Moses, you brought us out here in the desert to kill us. You brought us out so that we would die. You know what, back there in Egypt, we had meat and we had bread and, and we were taken care of which wasn't really true, but that's what they thought. And yet, I love it because they're in Exodus 16 in chapter 7. God comes to them and he says, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you what. Tomorrow morning, you are going to see the glory of God. Tomorrow morning, you're going to see the glory of God. So the children of Israel, they go to bed, they wake up, they come out. What was it that they saw? Well, they look out and there's these like wafers all over the ground. And they were told, hey, go gather them up. They didn't know what it was. So they called it. What is it? That's what manna means. It means, what is it? And so they go out and they gather. But I love it because the Bible says they were like wafers that were wafers with honey in them. I, I look at that. You guys ever had that like baklava or baklava, whatever you call it or whatever. I mean, it's wafers and honey. And oh, my gosh, I just love that. stuff, Man, if I had that every morning, man, yeah. But anyways, but, but this is what they had. And so they go out every morning. They gather in this manna. They bring it in. And God used that manna as he said, you're going to see my glory. 
They saw the glory of the Lord every day for 40 years. 40 years, God sustained them every morning and they went out and they gathered that manna. And God used that to sustain them, to take care of them. Move ahead to the New Testament. We have Jesus coming on the scene. And what does Jesus say? He says, hey, I'm the bread of life. In fact, Jesus will go on to say, I was the manna that came down from heaven. He's the manna. And again, here Jesus says, I was that man. And just like the children of Israel, where I sustained them, I want to come to you each and every morning and sustain you, to take care of you, to nourish you. And he will do that for the rest of our lives here. Then we get to heaven and he's going to continue to take care of that there. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. And yet, just like the children of Israel, They miss it. They miss it that that's really the glory of God. And yet we can oftentimes miss God moving and God working in miraculous ways. The glory of the Lord. But let's go back to the story with our friend here. Verse 6, and it says, And when he had said these things, now this is Jesus, it says, He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Now, something I do again, I'm kind of a visual guy and stuff, but I love to put myself in the place of the people that I'm reading in the scripture to kind of try to get a feel for what were they thinking and what was going on in their lives. And yet here you have this guy and he's sitting by the side of the road and he's just begging. He has been doing this all his life. And he's sitting there. He hears these guys come up and they're talking about him. Hey, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And I'm thinking, he's like, hey, guys, I'm like right here, you know, and stuff. But but again, for them, that was just a common thing of talking about that. And yet he must have thought just like you and I would think. Yeah, you know, right, I am a sinner. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't have a purpose or a plan for my life. But then I have to believe that he just remembered those words that Jesus said, words he'd probably never heard before in his life. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Listen, Then all of a sudden, as he's sitting there, he's sensing someone coming a little closer. And you know what Jesus did? Gets down, gets some dirt. You know, and he's making, that's what he did. He made some mud, you know, with his spit. And then he goes and he puts it on the guy's eyes. You know, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't like anyone hardly touching my face, let alone a stranger. But I have to believe there was something about Jesus' voice Something about the words he said, something about Jesus' presence that gave this guy a peace, gave this guy peace. And then Jesus said, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it tells us, listen, the pool of Siloam, it means sent. It means sent. So stop and think about this just for a moment. Jesus sends this guy. Go to the pool of Siloam. Jesus is sending him. 
Listen, this guy had issues. This guy had faults and failures. This guy, everyone looked at this guy like he was a sinner, a guy who the priest, you know, he could never be a priest because of his conditions. A guy the priest would look upon as sinful. They would look down upon him. Jesus sent that guy. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because Jesus sent him, and he had all his faults and failings. Jesus can send me with all my faults and failings. But Jesus can send you. He can send you. He desires to send you. He desires to use your life. He wants to do it. But he says, go down to the pool of Siloam. Go to the pool of Siloam. And again, let's, let's continue on. Verse 8. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to continue on and we'll come back to that. To that. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Uh, Some said, It's he. And others said, Well, it's like him. But he says, Hey, I'm he. Therefore, he said to him, Well, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, Well, where is he? And he said, I don't know, because again, he didn't see Jesus. But, but now think about this. This guy goes, he goes to the pool of Siloam, and he washes, and his eyes are opened. He was on the ground begging. We don't know how many years that he was there, but he's begging and probably miserable. He goes and Jesus tells him to go to the pool of Siloam. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes his eyes. Now he's seeing for the first time. He's looking around like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing the sky. I'm seeing the land. I'm seeing the pool of Siloam. I'm seeing my friends. I'm seeing these other people. And when he comes back, this dude is excited. This dude is happy. And they're like, Okay, that kind of looks like the guy that was begging over there, but there's something different about him. He's not all depressed and upset and, and, you know, sitting, but he's happy and he's joyful because something had happened within his life and something did happen. Verse 13, it goes on to say, and they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when the Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight And he said to him, well, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Listen, the people brought the man to the priests, to the the Pharisees, because whenever anyone was healed in a miraculous way, they needed to take him to the priest so the priest could confirm the miracles. So they brought this guy to the priest. So the priest, and I have to, this is Jesus. I have to believe, you know, that, that Jesus, remember when he healed all the lepers and he said, hey, go show yourself to the priest because they had to go and they had to offer these offerings. And yet Jesus was doing that so that the priests who were supposedly the ones who were believing and trusting in God would, would see that God was in their midst. And yet they bring him to the priest. But you know what? The priests don't want to confirm this miracle. Why? Because then they would be forced to make a decision about Jesus. Man, people, this is why the world hates Jesus so much. Because Jesus forces us to choose. 
Listen, when the apostle Paul there said there in 1 Corinthians 6, he said, and such were some of you. And he's li- he just listed all this sinful actions and stuff, all of which I know for me, I've done all those things. But, 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 but then Jesus came into my life and Jesus changed me. And people looked at me and they said, hey, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I look at them and say, it was Jesus. Can I tell you, that's not what they want to hear. That, they don't want to hear that. It makes them mad because then it makes them have to choose. You're either for him or against him. Jesus, there's no neutral ground. But yet, even with the priests, it says that there was division among them. People, can I tell you that there's always division around religious people? But when love is controlling the relationship, division can be diminished. Listen, when we're religious or it's all about the rules and regulations, listen, whether it's our relationship with God or our relationship with our spouse or our relationship with other people, uh, there will always be division. But if love is controlling those things, the division will diminish. But going on, look at verse 17. It said, and they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he says, well, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received sight until they called the parents of him who had received sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? And how does he now see? Again, this guy is still rejoicing. He's still excited about what God just did. And they're like, well, what do you think? And he says, what do I think? I think he's a prophet. And this is a God thing. And again, not what the priests wanted to hear. Because in their minds, they thought Jesus was a rebel. Jesus didn't do things the way in which they thought things should be done. Listen, I know within my own life, I have oftentimes in the past been very pharisaical. I have played that Pharisee. In fact, I felt like unless you were saved a certain way and lived a certain way and did certain things, then you were not saved. In fact, I had people who would come around me and they said, Pat, I don't even want to be around you because it seems like all you're doing is looking for sin. And I just wanted to point it out to them to prove that they were wrong. I honestly believe that I was like one of the few saved people on the planet at that time. Very sad, but that's kind of where my head was really at. I was a sin sniffer. But can I tell you, when I was a sin sniffer, there was no joy joy in my life. Man, there wasn't. I wasn't a happy camper. It wasn't there. But again, just like the Pharisees, that's how I was acting. But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, for which he loved me, he would not allow me to stay there. He didn't let me stay there. I remember at that time in my life, I got called to go out to Ventura to go work on a job for a few months. And so it was the summertime. So me and my wife, we, someone had a little motorhome. So we grabbed it. We went out and we stayed on the beach. And I was there working for a few months. And the first day I'm going out to the job and I'm trying to hire some guys because we didn't want people commuting from LA. So we wanted to grab some guys there. And I'm standing there and God was really working on me a lot. And I'm standing there, you know, I have all of my thinking and all of my stuff, the stinking thing that's going on in my head. And this first guy that walks up to me, he's got this, you know, he's got his hard hat and it said, Jesus saves. He's got a cigarette in his hand and he walks up, praise the Lord, brother. How the blank are you doing? You know, and I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. Time out, time out. 
But you know what? Listen, I ended up hiring this guy. And this guy ministered to me so much. He was the biggest grace ball that I had ever been in. Everything, listen, everything about his life, I said, you can't be saved. You can't. He told me how he got saved. He said, I was a radical alcoholic. And then what I did was I only went down to a six-pack. I'd sit and drink a six-pack, and I would listen to tapes on Jesus, you know, and stuff. And that's how I got saved. And I go, no, no, you can't get saved that way. That's not how it works. And God was just showing me, hey, it's so far outside of the box that I'm doing. Listen, listen, I don't know. Um, I was listening this morning, and it was, they were having little snippets of the, the Jesus Revolution movie that's kind of coming out here soon. In fact, if you go in on the 22nd, you can actually get it like a, a go into a private viewing where Pastor Greg's actually going to be doing uh, 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 an altar call at the end of the movie. Phenomenal movie. Encourage you guys, go see it. I know, I think it comes out 24th or 27th. But in that, like this morning when I was listening, it was, it was when Lonnie Frisbee, who is this total Jesus freak, and Pastor Chuck, when they first met. And Pastor Chuck looked at the hippies like, they're unclean, they need a bath, they, they're just doing their own things, they're all rebels. And yet Lonnie was just talking to him like, hey, Pastor Chuck, Jesus loves you and he loves us and my people. You know what? We just want to be loved. And he had this whole conversation about how we're just looking, we're searching. And so we're looking into drugs, we're looking for everywhere for the answers. We're looking for love in all these places. But when we come to the church, the doors are closed because you want nothing to do with us. And yet, when, I mean, again, if you go, that's the, kind of the start of Calvary Chapel with Pastor Chuck. And listen, if you're kind of old-time Calvary, uh, you're going to sit there and you're just going to, it's going to bring back memories and you're going to, you know, all of those kind of things. But I would ask and pray, if you actually go see the movie, that not only would it just make you remember all that God did, but remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did back then, he wants to continue to do within our hearts and our lives. He wants to do that revival within us. So, but listen, if you're kind of in that place where there's a little bit of that pharisaical stuff going on and you're having a hard time rejoicing, like even when people get saved, and I know I was that way. I was having a hard time rejoicing when people get saved. It, it tells me that I might have a little bit of that pharisaical stuff going on within my life. And if that's going on within your life, then love is not what's going on. And the Lord wants it to be that. But back to our story. Listen, they call his parents and they bring his parents in. So verse 20 goes on to say, and his parents answered them and said, well, we know that this is our son, son, son that he was born blind But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And listen, because the parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was a Christ, he would be kicked out of the church, kicked out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, hey, he is of age. Now, stop and think for just a moment about these parents. And how much, if you had a child, and they had this child, and he was born blind, and because of that stigma, everyone thinks either you're in sin, or this child must be sin, there's something going on. But then to have a blind child, and the work involved in taking care of him and watching over him, again, there's no hope, there's no normality of life. Everyone has that stigma that, that you're a sinner, and this is how you've been living your life. 
And all of a sudden, this guy goes to this pool of Siloam and he washes and he can see. He has been healed. I have to believe those parents were like, oh my gosh. I don't know if you were here on Sunday morning, but second service, second service when Pastor Chet was doing the altar call for all of the prodigals. I mean, this was had people all the way across here. And I just loved it because I get the privilege of sometimes being able to stand up here and watch these people coming down. And the parents, because the parents were coming down with the kids and the parents are coming down and the parents are weeping and the the parents are rejoicing and the people are weeping. They're, They're all the motion that was going on because of the people that had come down. In fact, I was in here and I looked over and one, you know, because Pastor Chet said, I don't care. You just drag your son down here. And one lady actually did that. She took her son and she dragged him down. That kid's eyes were this big. He's like, what the heck am I doing? Like, how did I get here? So, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was, that was just, that was classic. And I go, God, you can use even that. He can use even that. But think about this for these parents. And yet they're brought into the, this court situation where they're rejoicing. And yet the, the priests, the people who are supposed to be telling them about God, they're mad. Yeah. And they're mad about the scenario. They're mad about the things that are going on. And they hear, listen, if, if you better be careful what you say. Because if you say he's a Christ, you're getting kicked out of the church. And they're like, hey, we don't want you. Hey, ask him. He's old enough. He's of age. Ask him. And so that's what they do. They go back and ask him. Verse 24. So again, they called the man who was blind, and they said to him, give God the glory. Give God the glory. Listen, listen. If I was to say, hey, guys, let's just give God the glory, I would be saying that in a way that you go, oh, yeah. I I guarantee that's not how they were saying that here. Uh, Because, again, this is like a courtroom, and these guys are mad. These guys are not okay. So they're like, give God the glory. We know this man's a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, listen, I don't know. But one thing, one thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. One thing, one thing. I was blind, but now I see. I just love this guy. The priest, the man, give God the glory. And again, I I think of that courtroom thing where where, you know, it's like, tell us the truth. You can't handle the truth. And they're yelling at each other and stuff. And he's like, okay, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. Hey, the guy's a prophet. I'm going to give glory to God. This, I was blind and now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Listen, I didn't go to rabbi school. I don't have all this intelligence. I've been a beggar for most of my life. So I know pretty much nothing. But one thing I do know, one thing I do know, one thing. A couple of weeks ago, I was up in the state of Washington visiting some friends and a buddy of mine, and he goes to a church, and they were doing this men's thing. And he said they were talking about how if you, and it was up in the mountains, so they're all kind of mountain-type men. And he said, when you go out hunting and you got a gun, and you, I'm, I'm not a gun person, but anyways, they, they were talking about you take a gun and you put a scope on there. When you put the scope on there, you look through the scope because you're looking at what you want to go after. You're looking at what you want to go after. And we were sitting and talking about that. Hey, what if somebody came along my life? What if someone came along your life and looked through the scope of what's going on in your life? What would they see that you're going after? 
What would they see in your life that you're going after? Is it riches, fame, the toys? What would that be that they would see? Jesus said to Martha, listen, one thing is needful. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Paul said, one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I press forward to the the mark, the high calling, the prize of Jesus Christ. I forget there's forgiveness. There's the blood of Jesus that washes and cleanses all that stuff of the past. I don't allow the past to control my future, but I'm looking to Jesus. David would say, one thing I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord, uh, to see the beauty of the Lord, and to know him. What is the one thing? What's the one thing you desire that if someone was looking at the scope of your life and your focus, what would they see? Would they see that you say, hey, one thing I desire to be in the house of the Lord. Can I, can I tell you guys something? If there's not a desire to be in the house of the Lord, I don't think you're going to enjoy heaven very much. You, you're just not. Because listen, it, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his presence. What is the one thing that was there? And I love it that this guy would say, one thing I know, I was blind. I was in darkness. I was in pain. I was suffering. I was looked at as a sinner. I was blind. But now, now I see. In verse 26, it goes on, and they said to him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered and said, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? And they reviled him. And they said, you're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. But it continues on. Look at verse 30. It continues on. And the man answered and said to them, and I love this. This guy had wisdom from above, man. It's like, why is this such a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from? Yet he has opened my eyes. And now he's going to give these guys, a little, these are the priests. These are the guys who know the law. He's going to give them a little Bible study. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will and he hears him, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, you're completely born in sin and you're teaching us. And then they cast him out. Listen, these people who should have known that Jesus was there, it was their pride and their religious ways that kept them in a place of being blind from seeing who God was and what God wanted to do. But then in verse 35, and I love this, I'm going to close it out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him. Listen, again, the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He did it then. He's still doing it today. Listen, if you feel like you've been cast out, if you feel like you've been set aside, if you feel like you're unloved, that God doesn't care about you, man, I have good news for you. Listen, the devil's a liar. He's a liar. But, but God loves you, and Jesus came that you may have life and have that abundantly. If we open our hearts to Jesus, let him touch and heal, because Jesus will ask us the exact same question 
he ends up asking this guy. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Amen. Amen. Listen, listen. For Abraham, for Sarah, giving glory to God was by believing what God promised. For this guy, it was believing in whom God had sent. And it's the same way for us. It's by believing. Jesus loves us. He's got a purpose, a plan for our life. Jesus came to seek and to save. That was lost. To save sinners of their sin. To love the unlovable. To heal the brokenhearted. To open prison doors and set captives free. He wants to do that within our hearts. Today. Tonight. Right now. But we need to believe. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask and pray, Lord, as we have looked at giving glory to God. And as we have seen uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah and this guy here, all the things that he had to go through. And yet what he would say. Listen, the only thing I know is that I was blind and now I see. Lord, if there is anyone here tonight that in their hearts they have not believed in you. They've not opened their heart to you. They're sitting here thinking, man, God doesn't love me or God is punishing me or God doesn't care about me. I pray and ask. They would not believe the lie of the enemy, but they would believe that you came to die upon that cross and rise again the third day so that we could experience life in you and life with one another. You want us glorifying God together. That's what you want us doing. And Lord, that's what we want to do. And if you're here tonight and you've not opened your heart, the Lord, listen, he doesn't complicate things. He makes things very, very simple. And it's a simple prayer of simply asking him to come into your life, of saying, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me of my sin. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me life that you promised that I might live for you. And if you pray that prayer, if you believe in him, the Bible says you are saved. And Lord, I just, I thank you, God, for for those maybe playing religious games and doing the pharisaical thing. God, I pray and ask that as we looked at this guy and saw that, you know what, Jesus, it doesn't, the Holy Spirit is not in a box, but he moves outside and does things the way he wants to do them. Lord, I pray and ask you, give us your heart and your love for people who are lost or dying or just lost their way, Lord, in this complicated, complex world that we happen to be living in. Give us that hope of heaven, that hope of drawing near to you. And we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people agree by saying, amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.